Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. awesome God. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out, Father, amongst us. That here we are, Father, as your children, asking, and we pray that you would hear our cry, Father, that you would just uh, touch us, heal us, and uh, fill us with your Spirit, Father, to empower us to do the things that we cannot do. We are weak, Father. We have uh, the ability to have our eyes wandering, to be led astray. Keep us strong, Father, so that we could be your disciples, your, your children, Father, that are called by your name. Uh, we just pray, Father, that uh, you would do a wonderful work here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And uh, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Having that concept of fearing God, and we defined that as having a respect for God. And it's not to be afraid of God, but to recognize his power and his strength. And hopefully what Solomon has been teaching us is to keep us on course. And uh, we see many things in Solomon's life that he strayed far from the course that he was set upon to walk in. And yet probably in his old age, he's now looking back and he's saying, where did I go wrong and what happened to me? How did this happen? And in the, the process, he's telling us to say, young man, beware of these things. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, my son, speaking to us as a father, he says, pay attention to my wisdom. I want you to understand, that goes back to our memory verse, to take firm hold of instruction and not to let go. Keep her, for she is your life. That was our memory verse, if you would, and, and Solomon is, is continuing along that to say, pay attention, take a firm hold, listen to what I'm saying. How can I bang this into your head so that you understand what's being said? Because so many fail in this endeavor. He says, lend your ear to my understanding. And I like that, lend it. You think of lending somebody your shovel, lending somebody five bucks. You want to say, hey, just, just give me, give me the, you know, I'll give it back to you, but I just want you to, to, to just open your mind a little bit. It says that you may preserve discretion. Interesting word to be discreet. That means you have to do things without slamming, uh, 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 forcing, uh, 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 bragging. Uh, throwing yourself, discretion. You, you think of a, a spy lurking around the corners and, and he has a secret identity and he's saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to use discretion. I, I don't want to just blab to everybody to say, hey, look, I'm a you know, Russian double-knot spy and so you would use discretion. You would have tact. You would understand what you're doing. And, and he's saying, he says, you would preserve discretion. There are things in our life that we have to be discreet about. You, you just can't blab and yell and scream everything that comes out. Uh, wisdom uh, begs that we would have a desire to understand who our hearers are. 
And Solomon is trying to speak to us, you know, to say, son, I'm speaking to you in your stupidity and I'm going to use discretion. And I want you also to be understanding that when you speak, that you have to be able to win the hearts and minds that are listening to you. You have to use the right vocabulary, the right vernacular, if you would. And he says he wants us to preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. So, you know, with inside of what you say, what comes out of your lips, you're going to say the right thing. And then he says, because it goes the wrong way, it says, verse 3, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. So I don't know if that's because she puts lip gloss on, or uh, what, she's, what she's saying is coming out of her mouth is very slick. And so I think it has to do with if you were to deal with an immoral woman, and Solomon is going to go off on dealing with an immoral woman. Uh, in today's day and age, I guess it always goes both ways. But we're going to keep it in the text and the idea of a man uh, being seduced by a woman that is uh, seductive, if you would. And he says, uh, uh, many an immoral woman, it would drip honey from her lips. So she would be speaking enticing words. So Solomon is saying, hey, look, we gotta, we got to stay on the right path. And as we're going down the road of life, there are things that are going to knock us off path. And as these things, it's a seductress, it's a woman personified as anything that would be evil that would come up and be a temptress to take us off. And it's her words. It's what comes out of her mouth. And it always sounds so good. When we are on the verge of temptation, uh, there is a... a, a, a <coughs> seduction that sounds and it's music to our ear that convinces us that when we make a mistake it's going to be the right thing and if Solomon is saying anything he says her mouth whatever seduces you is smoother than oil but in the end whenever you're fallen off course she is bitter as wormwood I'm not exactly sure what wormwood is but it's bitter anybody got any idea what wormwood is Oh, no. Not with today's health standards. But so I guess you'd eat this and it would get any parasites right out of your intestinal tract? <laughs> well, I have to tell that to my wife. She always tries to go through those deworming things, convinced that we, uh, we have these processes. And I'm like, honey, I don't think I'm going to go quite there. But that, that produces a very vivid picture for us. <laughs> that in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. So it must taste nasty. Have you ever tasted it? She's as bitter as wormwood. I'll, I'll remember that forever. And it's a dewormer. So is that why they call it wormwood? Because it removes worms? It's a dewormer? Does that make sense, Paul? <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> I like the <laughs> right, right, um, right. Because when they went to Mara, 
the place when they crossed over the part of the Red Sea. They went over there and they were out in the desert for a while. They came to this place called Merah. Then they took wormwood, threw it into the water, and then it made it pure. It dewormed it. <laughs> it's pretty bad when you throw something in the water and you see all these snakes and worms come running out of it. And you go, okay, we can drink it. I don't think I'll lose that memory now in my mind. He says, but in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. So what starts off so good uh, comes out uh, bitter. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death. And uh, uh, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life. So he's saying, unless you're smart enough to think about these things, to ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. So there's, it's almost as if you see this uh, character of this beautiful woman sitting there in the red dress, and she's looking all seductive, and she's saying, come on over. And you just see behind her, she's really this serpent going all the way down into to hell, if you would. And yet, it's almost the fool, the, the, the larky over there, that grabs hold of this and says, I'll go over and play with this trouble. And, and what's, what Solomon is saying is, you don't know how bad and how wicked this is. You don't know her past. It's interesting that in the New American Standard, it was saying that she doesn't know her paths. And I thought that was rather interesting on whichever it is, whether it's you or she, that it would come down to neither one of you know where this thing's going. And it's amazing how people get into a relationship, uh, can hop in bed with something, and they have no idea where that leads. He says, therefore, hear me now, my children. He says, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Run like she's got the plague. And do not go near the door of her house. Don't go up and knock on it. Don't go flirt with it. Don't go tempt yourself. And it's always amazing how people want to go up and knock on the door of something and says, well, I know I shouldn't, you know, be around something, but I just want to go play with something. I want to entertain the idea. I want to go up and be next to something, even though I know if I did something, it would destroy me. Guys like to flirt. They like to have a, a pretty woman to flirt with that responds to them. And somehow or another, within a lot of men, and I'm sorry, I'm going to speak for the male vernacular, and I'll eliminate all the women here on the temptation side of this, but it does go both ways. That somehow or another, when we see a pretty woman, and even if we're married, we feel that we can play with this. Well, I'll go up and talk to her. I'll go up and be friends with her. I'll go laugh and joke with her. When in the end, you just know it's death. And you're going, I know I can't complete this relationship, if you would. But somehow or another, in our mind, there's a justification of toying with something. And Solomon is coming up and saying, don't even start to toy with these ideas. Because pretty soon you become familiar with the toying and the laughing and the joking. And then pretty soon you cross one line, another line, another line. And next thing you know, you've crossed so many lines you say, oh, why not? Why not just go out and have an affair? Well, you know, we've done everything else but. And Solomon is saying, he says, don't go up. He says, don't go up and listen to this. Don't be part of her words or seductive speech. And he says, think about where you're going, but don't go up and knock on the door of her house. Lest, and notice it's a strong word, you give your honor, your honor to others. And your years to the cruel one. 
lest aliens be filled with your wealth. People, strangers, outsiders, not UFOs. And he says, he says, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin. And in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So here, you're hearing a little bit of the wise king saying, I was on the verge of total ruin. And what you're hearing now is where Solomon is saying, I have danced this dance, sonny boy. I've been down this road, and it has destroyed me. It almost destroyed me. And we wonder, we never know where Solomon could have ever regained some of his destructive ways. Solomon, who's saying, you know, these seductive women, it, it looks good, it feels good, it sounds good. We play with certain ideas, and in the end, it's a destruction. And, I, and you can't help but hear Solomon crying out as he's saying, he says, you give your honor. He says, if you go near the door of her house, and he says, lest you give, verse 9, your honor to others in your years to the cruel one. So he's saying, look, you know, you think you're going to go out there and have what's called instant gratification of the flesh. The seductress comes up, she woos you and tempts you, you bite into it, you grab hold of that, and immediately after that, you turn around and you say, wow, what did I just do? And as you look at that, it's going to say, you just lost your honor. There's a thing with inside of a man that can turn around and have a level of integrity. I know, all of us are sinners. All of us fall short of the glory of God. But there's a time in your life when somehow or another you can create a big sin in your life. And when you cross over, grab hold of the woman, you're in bed with the woman, you can all of a sudden realize and you say, I crossed the line, I have played the fool, and I ruined the innocence that was in my life. Now, I in no way, shape, or form am Catholic by any stretch of the measure. <laughs> that, that, that got it. That got it. I'm not. <laughs> but have you ever, in the Catholic Church, they have this, uh, this thing of, uh, of, of where, I just had the word until she sneezed, where they, where they have to pay a penance for their sins. Have you ever, they teach that if, if you sin, let's say you go out and commit adultery, you come back and you have to do, you know, so many Hail Marys and so many confessions and so many blah, blah, blah. You go to the priest and he gives you a, a, a prescription of events or works that you must perform. And you know, uh, that is a, a, a crazy, insane, anti-biblical concept. But it's something my flesh can relate to. I've had times where made some mistakes. And I can almost feel that until I cleanse myself of a few prayers and a few good things, that I've got no right to come talk to God again. And what that is, it's my honor that has been destroyed. 
And with inside of us, there's an integrity to be able to pray before the Lord and to say, Lord, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus. I'm standing here as your child, and I'm, I'm making a petition before you. When you walk in a blatant sin, you bite into the woman and grab hold of something that's going to destroy you. There is this lack of honor in your life, and inside of your own heart, you realize that you don't have the faith, the honor, the integrity to actually go up and to petition the Lord again. And you now say, Lord, I know you want to talk to you right now, I know. Let me go out and, you know, sweep the church parking lot a couple times, and then, then maybe I deserve to talk to you again. And Solomon is speaking to that. He's saying, you know, if, if you're going to go out and to grab hold of something, when you cross that line and do something that you know full well you're not supposed to be doing, your years go over to the cruel one. It's almost like Satan has an open door to turn around and to give you a tongue lashing and say, God won't answer your prayers. God doesn't like you. God's not going to work with you. And, and the cruel one, Satan, just comes in and starts beating the tar out of you. And, and you have to sometimes, before you go into the woman who's seducing you with the words and you're going, ooh, maybe this is really good, sometimes you've got to sit down and say, man, I, I, I don't want to go a week with not feeling right before the Lord. I don't want to go a moment without feeling right before the Lord. I don't want to feel that guilt, that condemnation. And I know I'm forgiven. I know God knows my, my weaknesses. And I know that he still loves me even if I do this. But I just feel like trash. And I, I don't want to have to go through that. And so Solomon is saying, he says, think, ponder, understand, sonny boy. He goes, when you go down this path, man, it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. And be strong before you go into, well, a sexual sin. But I, this is a principle that applies to any sin that you really know is wrong. And you know that you know that you know. And there's things that happen to us as believers that say, don't do it. And we says, well, I think I can do it. I think it's all right. I'll go play with it for a while. And we do it. And he turns around and he says, verse 13, happy. So instead of the cruel, the, the, your, your years given over to the cruel one, instead of your honor, he says there is a chance for you to be happy. And he says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. If you think about this and you stop that from happening, for her, for her proceeds uh, are better than the profits of silver. It's better to have that honor and integrity than to have your life compromised. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Man, to walk humbly before your Lord and to know that the Lord loves you is worth all the tea in China. To have the guilt feeling that you can never buy or cleanse or to have on you is miserable. You can never get rid of that. There's no, there is no penance that you can do. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Did I just, I'm in the wrong chapter. Where am I going? I said, this is supposed to go about her cisterns. <laughs> all right. I must have went backwards. 
I've skipped two pages. So you mourn her last, your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, I have hated instruction, verse 12, and uh, my heart despised correction. Hey, it's amazing how it all works together, though. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I said, man, this is good, and I didn't even really study this part. <laughs> I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ears to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total room and in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So now he says, this is what we wanted to get to. He says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad in streams of water in the streets. He says, let them be only your own and, do, and not for strangers with you. He says, uh, let your fountain be blessed and, uh, and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. And always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? So here he is, he's turning around and he's saying in the midst of this that if there's the temptress that's going to consume and destroy you, we've got that much. We understand that he can feel regret for the things that he's done. We can understand that he's saying to maintain your honor. And what is he really saying? He says, you know what? You had a wife when you were young. Now, if you could have just made that relationship work and kept the wife of your youth, you would have been so satisfied with life. Now, this is a tough pill to swallow. You've got to listen to Solomon. Now, Solomon's an interesting character. He's got 700 wives, 300 concubines, wherever this guy's coming from. And it is interesting as you look at Solomon. We said that he took over for the life of his father, David. And David had meticulously set up and orchestrated, if you would, uh, all the things that Solomon was to do with his life. He told him how to build the temple. He gave him the dimensions. He gave him the money. He gave him the gold. He gave him the silver. He instructed his son and says, I want you to do all these things. And Solomon starts a massive construction project. And we said that, interestingly enough, that Solomon, before he took over the official mantle of king, he has a vision. He has a dream. And inside of this dream... Uh, uh, he is turning around and he says, uh, God speaks to him. And he says, Solomon, you can have whatever you want. What would you like, Solomon? God saying, you got one wish. What would your one wish be? And he says, I, I want to know how to come in and to come out. I want to be able to know how to conduct myself as a king. My father, my father you know, laid a, 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 a heavy shoe for me to fill. And God says, oh, man, that's just awesome. You're asking for wisdom. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make you the wisest man of the world. And I will give you so many other things. Now, it's interesting, as he says that he's going to give them all these other things, the riches, the, riches, the wealth, the things that are there. If you read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, which gives us the outline of what happened, it's interestingly enough that inside of this chapter, it tells you what Solomon did. Solomon did one thing before he asked for wisdom. The one thing he did before he went up and asked for wisdom, it says, is he went and got married. And who he got married to, it says that when Solomon got married, he made an alliance with his wife, 
who was the king of Egypt's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter. So now you have to understand, here's Solomon. He's taking over the throne as a young lad. I don't know, let's just say he's 17, 18, 19 years of age. His dad left him a huge inheritance. First thing, and I would even speculate that this was an arranged marriage that David set up to say, my son needs to have peace with the world empire out there of Egypt. I want my boy to marry Pharaoh's daughter. He's probably got a couple hundred of them. But, you know, if we turn around and marry Pharaoh's daughter to my son, well, then everything will be fine. And it specifically says that it was an alliance. It was for political reason. Now, it's interesting when you read the text, and uh, we could go through a couple verses here. We're going to find out a couple things. That Solomon turns around, and uh, it, it always connotates that Pharaoh's daughter, whoever this woman was, was really his wife. And almost with the other 300 that come, or 700 that come down the pike and the 300 concubines, you almost get the feeling that those are the filler and the fun. Those were the good old things that he got to play around with as toys. And it's interesting, it says, when you read the concept of Solomon building the temple, it says that Solomon built the temple, and, and forgive me about the numbers not being 100% accurate, but it took him almost seven years of a construction project to build the temple. And so for seven years, they get a thousand, thousands of guys converged to build and erect this temple that his father had established. And you go, man, what a construction project. But it tells you that Solomon turns around when he finished building the temple first, good boy. He then turns around and says, I got to build a house for my wife. And he turns around and he spends 12 years building the house for his wife. <laughs> now... Let's just read a little bit into that. And I'm reading a little bit into that. But he's got his wife being Pharaoh's daughter, who was his original wife. And if you understand the language, it says Solomon's wife, Pharaoh's daughter. And then there was the other thousand women that he had as his toys. You could almost see this woman say, well, my daddy's king down there in Egypt. And if you don't take care of me, <laughs> you got you to gotta understand Solomon. Solomon's probably going, man. 12 years of, well, I just don't like the color of those blinds. I think I'll just put up with, I wanted red over there. And hey, that guy didn't paint that. And hey, this is what, and if you've ever been around a construction project or trying to get a house built and having a woman be appeased on how the house is going to come out, you could understand that poor Solomon and all of his insanity was probably saying, man, dude, my wife is insane. And you no wonder why he's going, I think I need to go find me another wife tonight, you know, somebody that's going to be fun for the evening because I can't handle the lady at home. You know that's what he's saying. And you know, you can, you can just hear him ranting and raving out at the bar because you know he was, you know, drunk for insanity. And you can understand as you read the passages further on in Proverbs that says, you know, it's better to be up on the corner of the roof than to be in the house with a contentious woman, right? You can hear him say, Boy, let me tell you, you know, uh, uh, you know how that water just drips and drips and drips? That's the way it is with a contentious woman. And you can see him down at the corner bar saying, man, I just can't handle this, man. This woman is driving me nuts. I, I'm just, I, you know, she's just going on and on and on. And, and for five years while we were building the temple, she says, I got to live in a shack and I can't believe my father's a king. And I came up here and I married you. What are you doing? Now when she finally goes through this, you can see the insanity of poor Solomon. Now. If I'm 
just conjecturing a little bit, and I may be off. You can kick me for that. But what Solomon is saying here, he says, you know what? If I had to do it all over again, I wish I would have just stuck with the wife of my youth. I should have just delighted myself in her body, her cisterns. There's some poetic language there for exchanging bodily fluids, I guess. We'll leave it at that as adults. And he's saying, I didn't want my fountain to be thrown out into the street. I should have turned around and said, I wish I would have just stuck with this woman. And even as contentious and as miserable, and it was an arranged marriage, and, but this was my wife. And it was something that I entered into before I asked God for all this wisdom. I just got stuck with this woman. And he is saying here, I should have just made that work, but I didn't. I turned around, and instead of making something work and working with what I had, I decided to turn around and to grab hold of option number two, number three, number four, number five. And he is speaking to us clearly to say, son, I know it looks real good. The grass is always greener on the other side. Son, I know that you are convinced that if you fall into a seductive situation that you're going to be happy. But in the end, it's pain. You're giving your years over to the cruel one. And after all the thousand women I've had, brother, none of them are making me happy on the inside. And that's hard. Now, all of us have to wrestle with these decisions. Marriage is very difficult. I'm sure Solomon could tell you a long story of the pains of being married. And in his hindsight, he is saying, I wish I stuck it out. I would have rather put up with the misery of the nagging about the blinds for 12 years than sitting down there and thinking I would have had it another way. He says, drink water from your own sister in verse 15 and running water from your own well. Stick it home, brother. You don't need anything down at the corner bar. He's not going to offer you nothing. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets. You're just going to take yourself and throw yourself out there for everyone to look at. And unfortunately, that's one of the concepts of sexuality in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is, 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 uses the term on looking on your father's nakedness. Bizarre term. The concept would be when it says, don't sleep with your mother, right? Because it says that you're exposing your father's nakedness. Concept that in sexuality... You are naked, you're exposed, you're vulnerable, you're, you're letting it all hang out. You can't say, well, you know, I slept with that girl and now I, I can hide something from her. It's like you've already got the, the, the downright dirty and nasty details of each other. Everything else on that is just, you know, details. And, and he's saying, he's saying when you, when you take yourself and you're, you're just throwing yourself into a sexual relationship, you kind of got the down and dirty on each other. And, and, and when that happens, you're lacking discretion. You don't have anything to conceal anymore. There's somebody over there that can have the goods on you because they know your dirty little secrets. So if I turned around and I had an affair over here with the Lady X, 
And then I could stand in front of my congregation and be telling them how spiritual and wonderful I am. Lady X is over there looking at me saying, yeah, right. And what happens is that I've lost my discretion, I've lost my honor, and I've lost my ability to turn around and to have any concept of, of, of presenting myself correctly. And Solomon's saying, he says, your, your streams of water in the streets, are you just going to take yourself and throw yourself in the street so you look like the town fool instead of standing there in front of the king? And if, you're, if you were the king, then now you can almost say you've got a thousand women that know you intimately. And that's why it was an act of treason. If you had any one of these thousand women could turn around and say, well, man, I saw Solomon naked and we were doing things and I got this on him. And then if she turned around and said, hey, I gotta, I'm going to go over here with uh, Johnny and have an affair. And then she goes, well, Johnny, you know, you really satisfied me. I know, you know, Solomon was nothing compared to you. That would embarrass Solomon. And he couldn't defend that accusation, could he? So the principle was if the, one of the women went around and slept with somebody else, just kill them. Silence them. Because that's the only thing you can do to keep any honor anymore is to maintain it for forever that something should be intimate between two people. And the biblical principle and what Solomon is saying, he says, when you run around and throw your sexuality and all your, your things out in front of somebody else, they got you. You're just as much as the slob in the street and they're going to have a hole on you. If you want to have discretion, be free from somebody having that leverage on you. That's all he's speaking. And he's begging us. He's saying, he's saying, hey, don't bite into this. And he says, let them, let them uh, be only uh, your own, verse 17, and not for strangers with you. Don't, don't bring a pollutant uh, 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 to adulterate the situation. That's what an, uh, uh, when, when you adulterate something, you're adding a pollutant. That's what it means. So if you had pure gold and then you mixed the lead in there or something, you're, you're adulterating the gold. You're in, in, in incorporating a pollutant into the situation. I saw a beautiful uh, illustration, and I kind of thought of it a little late. I was, but, but it makes a good example if you, take, if you take two glasses of water and put them kind of like in a, in a, 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 a clear glass, and you say, here's man, here's woman. When they're together, the purity kind of stays pure. And then all of a sudden, the guy runs around and says, I'm going to go over here with Susie for a little bit. And, and what he's doing, he's bringing sin in there. And, and inside of his cup, he's, he's mixing himself. He's adding uh, sin. And you can see a little discoloration inside of the cup now. And now he comes home and he says, honey, I'm going to be with you. And they're now exchanging fluids, if you would. And now she's being corrupted. And the corruption continues to spread. There has to be a desire with inside of us to keep purity. And the more the guy is running around sleeping with all these other women, the more impurities he's bringing home. The more, the more things are being dispersed and the less there is of an integrity and honor. And he says, you don't want to bring strangers into a relationship that brings in unknown factors, that brings in manipulation and leverage against you that can destroy a relationship. So he says, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Just stick with her. And a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. And always be enraptured with her love. You know what? We can sit down there and look at that. If I've been married 18 years. 
faithfully. And you can turn around and say, well, you know, there's, there's times when my wife's my wife and she can become, you know, a little too familiar and familiarity breeds contempt. And we can sit down and have times where there's contemption between us because it's kind of old hat. Just life all in general. And, 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 and there comes a time when you say, oh, I wish I had something new, something to stimulate. Some, oh, here's something wonderful over here. And God says, you know, stick with this, Dave. This is the best you, this is, this is better than anything that you're ever going to think is out there because when your heart and integrity is destroyed, you'll destroy everything. And, and I'm glad I can have the integrity from behind the pulpit to know that there's a purity, there's a purity that can say, hey, I'm, I've been faithful with my wife and I can have that in, integrity. And he's saying, just stay there. There may be, you know, the, the, the new younger model out there someplace that you think that you might have of the temptress but you're an awful lot better just enjoying yourself with the breasts of the wife of your youth. You'd be enraptured with her. You, you know what? Marriage is what you make of it. And, and, and that is a universal principle I learned about when I went into the Marine Corps. I, I went into the Marine Corps, and some people, as you join up, I signed up for the Marine Corps one full year before I went in. And it was amazing that I really didn't know what I was doing when I signed up for the Marine Corps. <laughs> Didn't even really know what it was. I got a free iron-on in the mail I signed away for, and that got a recruiter at my door. My dad and I were in an argument, and the recruiter said, you can go to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm like, Memphis, that's a million miles from home. I said, where do I sign? So here I am, that was the end of my junior year of high school. My senior year of high school, I, have, I now go in and now, you know, all my friends go, here's Dave, he signed up for the Marine Corps. And all of a sudden, everyone comes up to you. The Marines? Whoa, baby killers, this, that. Blah, blah. Everything comes at you with both barrels. And I was totally unprepared for the onslaught of how so many people were anti-Marine Corps. It's a little bit better nowadays, but this is 1980. And I, 79, I graduated in 80. And, and everybody was anti-military. And everybody, and I had all of a sudden, everyone says, well, I was in the Marine Corps. It was the worst four years of my life. I couldn't stand it. And it's true, when you're in the Marine Corps, you sign up for four years. Everybody, they, they start to, after about a year of being in the Marine Corps, so a year is 365 days, they start counting down the days, around 1,000. So that's three years to go. And they're counting down every single day until they can get out of the miserable life that they're in. But, you know, I had this one guy take me aside and says, oh, you joined the Marines? And he goes, man, I'll tell you what, I had a blast when I was in. I was like, what? He goes, man, I went in there and I had the most fun of my life. Those were some of the best days of my life in the Marine Corps. And he turned around and he told me, he says, Dave, he says, the Marine Corps is what you make of it. He goes, you can go in there and if you want to say, and you want to be miserable, it will be hell. If you go in there, you have your head put on straight, you understand the benefits. You know, a lot of people, they go to college, they have to go to school, and they have to pay money, and then they have to go out and buy all their beer. You, you go to school, you learn everything, and they give you a beer fund. <laughs> it's called your salary. Like, wow. <laughs> Come on, I'm 18 at the time. This is a, 
And he goes, you can save money, you can have a car, you can get your independence, you can work hours. He, this guy started telling me all these ways to cut corners in the Marine Corps so that you could be ahead of everybody and just enjoy life. And he goes, man, I, it was the easiest time of my life when I was in. And you can get certain jobs and certain things you can do that are just fun. You know, you can go to Hawaii, you can go here, you can go there, you can go overseas, you can see the world. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know all that. And it is, it's what you make of it. Now granted, when you're in the Marine Corps, and I was there, and, and, and when I was in, 98% of the people in the Marine Corps absolutely hated being where they were. This was 1980, it might be a little different now, where they're all excited about. They hated it, they were miserable. I have never been around a group of people that complained more in my life than I was when I was in the United States Marine Corps. They get us up at four o'clock. They want my boots shined. I can't believe I gotta, you know, and make my bed. And I can't. They took away. Da, 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 da. And everything was ranting and raving. And it got to be where one of the expressions was, you know, you, you could get anything you want on a silver platter, and you'd still complain as a marine. And they do. But I sat down and you can have a party and say, well, you know what? They're asking, what, two hours of work out of me? They're asking me to do this. They're asking me to do that. The rest of the day is free. I got a car. I can go do this. I made some great friends. We did so many wonderful things. We traveled. I took 30 days off. I took from California to Washington State to Massachusetts to Washington, D.C., me and a friend, Charlie. We drove across the country roundabout in 30 days. Man, when have I ever had that luxury to be able to do that again? When do you have those things? And you know, life is what you make of it. And, and unfortunately, I think I understood that principle from the Marine Corps, but you know what? <laughs> Marriage has that exact same principle. You know, you got a woman. You can love her, and you can say, honey, let's just make the best of it. And if you're attitude going into marriage is to turn around and to say, honey, I love you, and we're just going to have a blast, you're going to have a wonderful marriage. If your attitude is, man, I can't nag about the color of the drapes, and I'm just going to, you know, you can sit down there and make your, miser your, your marriage miserable by you having the wrong heart going into it. And then you can say, well, dude, you're sitting here complaining and whining every single second. How do you think she feels being married to you? Yeah, well, you know, it goes both ways. And what Solomon is saying, he's merely saying, he says, you know what? Always be enraptured with her love. He says, you know what? You can be that way. You can make it to be that way. If you can just be satisfied with her breasts, her body, her condition, if you can turn around and say, listen to this, it's okay. It's okay. But you know what? If you have a wandering eye and you turn around and say, well, there's better breasts out there. There's better things to play with. Look at her lips as smooth as oil. Ooh, this looks good, and we can all be deceived and go for that. And what you have to turn around and sit down and says is, man, don't bite into that, don't bite into that, don't bite into that, don't do that. It'll kill you. And I'm not here. You know, Calvary Chapel has a lot of cigarette smokers and a lot of divorcees, and a lot of us here can be divorced and remarried, and I'm not here to throw rocks at anything. And I've seen people that have been living in hell and almost been willing to say, you need to get a divorce. <laughs> I've heard some stories of some people that says, you needed to get a divorce. <laughs> and Jesus even says, when it comes down to sexual immorality, you need to move on. Once sexual immorality has hit, move on. 
And, and, and I believe that there's some, some, some times to be let go and to be severed from relationships and what seem to be good, you need to move on from. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm only trying to make the point of saying it's a matter of being in a situation and when you and I are in given situations, there comes inside of us a sense of boredom, taking things for granted, and with inside of those feelings comes a desire, listen to this, to become agitated. That's what happens. Maybe it's a male thing. You get frustrated. You get agitated. You start get working yourself up into a frenzy. The mind starts to play tricks to you. Next thing you know, you're angry. You're upset. You're screaming. You're, you're venting out some type of anger. And with inside of that, Anger and that agitation is when you turn around and says, well, that's it. I've had it. I'm moving on. <clears throat> and really, the only culprit in the situation is your own sinfulness not to enjoy the things that you have. And there comes time in a man's life, and I'll just leave it at a man at this point, to say, you got to stop and say, this is my life. I need to make the best of it, and I need to stop the wandering eye, the false expectation. Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the sower. <clears throat> Jesus uses the parable to say there's the rich landowner. I'm sorry, not the parable of the sower, the guy who owns the, uh, the land, and he, and he goes up and he goes to this guy and he says, hey, you want to work in my fields? And the guy says, sure, I'd love a, you know, a job. So he says, go on out in my fields, I'll pay you what's due at the end of the day. And that starts it at 9 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning. Then he turns around and hires somebody else at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he hires somebody else at 12 and hires somebody else at 3. And each time everyone says, sure, I'll go out and work for you. I just need a job. And then finally, at the end of the day, you know the story, hopefully, where he says, okay, let's call in everybody, pay them their wages. And then he starts with the last guy first. And he says, give the guy a dollar, a denarii, a day's wages whatever would satisfy that guy. But it's a standard amount of a denarii, it's called. So the guy comes up, he gets a denarii, he says, man, I started at five and I, 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 I turned around and, and, and worked a couple hours. I got a whole day's wages for doing a couple. Woohoo! You can just see him walking off the pay line. He's the first one up there, gets his paycheck, and he goes, wow, that's good. Hey, everybody paid me a denarii. You know? And then all of a sudden the guy comes up at three and he goes, oh, I got a denarii. I got a denarii too. I worked only four hours, but you know, got a day's wages for you know, uh, four hours. I, I made out all right. And then the guy at noon comes up and he gets the exact same pay, a denarii. And then all of a sudden, the guy who started off at 9 in the morning or whenever, bright and squirrely when the sun's coming up, and he says, hey, well, it's my turn to get paid. Well, I, I should get a little bit more. These guys got, you know, a buck for working three hours. I've worked nine. I should get four. He goes up, and they said, no, here's your denarii. Here's your day's wages. And the guy starts to blow a gasket. And then the landowner says, how dare you blow a gasket? I thought we had an arrangement for a denarii, a day's wages. Didn't you work all day? Yeah, you know, I, I did work all day, but they, they, they only worked half the day, and they're getting the same amount. And Jesus, the landowner, whoever it would be, would turn around and says, man, we had an agreement. Honor your word. Let me be who I am. Suck it up and take your day's pay and quit your whining. Paraphrase there. And you go... And you go, I use that parable whenever we do marriage counseling. That parable, Matthew's 18, chapters 18, 19, 20, and that is one of the key parables for marriage counseling. Because what happens is that that is what's called a false expectation. The guy 
He should have said, hey, look, I'm going to be married. I'm going to have a wife. There's, we go through all the life together. And, and yet so many of us are always saying, yeah, but everyone else gets everything else. And then that, that lack of content creeps into our hearts. It creeps into our lives. And it agitates us to a point that we then become frustrated with life. And you're saying after so many years of marriage, and you're saying, well, Lord, all I got is the old lady over here. That's not fair. And God's like, this is what I promised you. You got married in your youth. You had your fun, and this is your wife, lover. Make something of it. And don't sit there and be agitated and upset and grumpy and complaining over the life that you got. In so many a man, you can see young men come in, and they're agitated. They're angry. I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. And the Lord's speaking. He's saying, and, and the wisdom of Solomon is saying, man, work it, man. It's what you make out of it. Don't, don't throw this away. In Solomon, and I honestly, I think he's saying, if I would have just stuck with Pharaoh's daughter, I would have been so much happier than a thousand women. I, I should have just, just kept myself here. And we know 1 Kings chapter 11 tells you that it was Solomon's wives with all their complaining that turned his heart to bring idolatry into the nation. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, brings in to plays the fool. Destroys the nation. And Solomon is crying out. He says, just, he says uh, as a loving deer and a graceful doe, verse 19, again, let her breast satisfy you all at all times and always be enraptured with her. For why should you, my son, be entrapped by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the way of man... For the ways of man uh, are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Who does? God does. God sits down in there, looks at the man, and he says, this is the way you should go, now walk in it. And he's looking at this guy, and this guy's saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to try and follow you. And then he's all, all of a sudden, he's looking away, and he's saying, well, look at her. And I think God up in heaven is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Have you ever had a good friend that you've had when you're the outside party looking at someone else and your friend is going to make a stupid mistake of going to have an immoral relationship? And it is strange. From the outside looking in, you'd say, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? You're throwing away your family, your wife, your kids, all the, your honor? And somehow God, if we thought of God as an outside person, sometimes I, I think he's looking at me sometimes and he's saying, what are you doing? Where are you going, Dave? What are you worried about? I'll take care of you. He ponders, God is the he, he ponders all his past, the man who is ready to go wayward. He says, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. God's watching you. His own iniquities, he's saying, he's just watching a man in his stupidities, his iniquities, entrap the wicked man. And he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. And so here it is. It's just a simple chapter. And he's turning around and he's saying, you know what? You've got to cry out unto the Lord. Trust the Lord with all the things that you're doing. And say, Lord, I need you. I, I, I want you. And I want to walk that path. 
And I don't know what it is about certain people, but when they, they fall into a trap, they, 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 and inside of that trap is like the deeper you go, the harder it is to get out of it. And it wraps its cords around you and chokes you and rips you apart so that you can't even get out of it anymore. What's soon to be like quicksand, you, I don't know, I've never seen it or been around it, but you know, you, you think it's just there and then if you don't get out of it real quick, you're going to sink deeper and deeper and then the more you struggle, the more you fight, the deeper and deeper the quicksand sucks you down and, and, and soon you're, you drown in the stuff. And, 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 and if you would, you, you, sin does that, it entraps you. And, and, and what happens what happens is when you start to be tempted to be drawn off course, you start to look at the things that are drawing you off course, and you can come to a point in your life to say, oops, I made a mistake. But what a man does when he starts to be agitated is he starts to redouble his efforts to be twice as stubborn to stay where he's in off course. And when you fall off course, you can either be broken and repent and come home and say, whoops, I need to get back on course. Sorry, God, forgive me. And the Lord is quick to forgive. But what happens with certain people as they start to get off course, they look at themselves and you can almost watch them start to just redouble, redouble their efforts to say, well, I'm going to continue in sin. And as life is miserable and I'm starting to fall apart and I'm not wrong about what I'm doing and I'm going to have this relationship and I'm going to be this way, you can see them just become twice as hardened away from the sensitivity of the voice of God. And Solomon is just asking us, he's begging us and he's saying, my son, watch yourself. Have some discretion. Take your honor. Be careful of what you're getting involved with. Sex is the uh, big topic. Everybody has to go through this. Everyone has to deal with it. And he's saying your sexual sins, man, they can consume you, wrap their cords around you, and kill you. Amen? Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.